everybody. It's Leslie and Mark is back. Uh, after, he's still kind of infected, I think. He's got a viral infection. He's got his voice back. I mean, I'm talking for him. But he's still a bit deaf. Still a bit deaf. So I could just basically slag him off and he won't hear me. <laughs> Even though I responded to that, so I can't hear you. Exactly. So he's lying. <laughs> he wasn't sick at all. I feel like now everything just kind of sounds like I'm in a glass jar. Which, as I said to you, is strangely quite relaxing. Now I'm thinking of that um, horrible viral video, one man, one glass, or one man, one jar. That is the exact jar that I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that's a bad situation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, About real life horror stories, that was one of them. Yeah, it was a bit when he was starting to pick out the glass and then I'm like, why is he not screaming? And then it wasn't until he seen the the blood pouring out of his asshole that he started like screaming and then it just ends. But I guess that's not the worst video anyone's ever seen online. (laughs) Mr. (laughs) Hands. Mr. Hands, that's quite horrific. Do you know what I'm talking about, Mr. Hands? No. You've never heard of Mr. Hands? I don't think so. I don't want to really tell you about it because you might look it up and then I might like scar your brain for life oh I thought you were going to be like you might look it up I don't want to ruin it for you well it's basically a man called Mr Hands and he gets fucked by a massive horse cock attached to a horse and he dies of he died later of um, basically a severe rupture intestinal rupture hemorrhage or something as you would and that went around the internet for a long time really hard to find now but i managed to find i actually sought it out i was like i have to see this like what is the big deal it's bad anyway i don't think i'm going to check that out no i don't anyway what was our episode about like my little soul episode was was just like a little pre um examples of like our topic today which is horror i mean what is it what was it really you've got the list the real stories behind or the real what the real life inspiration for horror movies is that really what it was because i okay right brilliant so i got i basically got that down in our last episode my last episode but i was also thinking about like horror stories that could inspire new movies or, or things like that or ju- that should be horror movies and i did say in my last one which you obviously haven't heard mark that i had a teaser story that i was going to bring up this week um, that relates to a shark incident and probably the worst luck anyone's had in their entire life. <laughs> it's pretty fucking horrible. <laughs> Do you want to hear it? I would love to hear it. Okay, so I said poor sharks, like they're getting a lot of shit because of Jaws. You know, a lot of them got killed because they were seen as monsters that just attack people willy-nilly. And my argument was that, well, they live in the sea. If you're going to jump in the sea where they live, it's fair game. Like, they're only doing what nature intended. They're not murderers. You can't call a shark a murderer. It doesn't have the concept of murder. They it's also just, only normally attack people because they're dressed like seals. And I feel like... People are dressed like seals. What? Well, <laughs> the majority of victims of shark attacks are wearing wetsuits because... If you're wearing a wetsuit and you're viewed from below, you look like a seal. Yeah, I suppose. And sometimes they're just curious and they just want to. That's not just me being random and being like, that's what I I was a shark, but there's been studies into it. Okay. And I think that backs up what you're saying because it's like, yeah, Yeah, but you dressed up as a bunch of, like, if you put on Lady Gaga's meat dress, 
<laughs> and went to the zoo a and bear. jumped in the lion pit. And then the wine killed you. It would be mental if I was then like, she was doing nothing, minding her own business, and now she's gone. Like, no, she she covered herself in meat and threw herself in the lion enclosure. But the thing is, we are already covered in meat. So technically, it doesn't really make any difference whether you're wearing raw meat or you're not. To the lion, you're just a tasty snack made out of meat. That's true. So <laughs> either way, jumping in a lion's den is not a good idea. I did mention that as well about... Um, Melanie Griffith's mum, Tippy Hedren, because I was talking about the birds and how she owned a lot of big cats and they did a documentary on it, which was a film. And Melanie Griffith and several other people got severely mauled by their, what I would describe as pet lions, which is really stupid and very not health and safety conscious. But anyway, right, back to my story. See, these people didn't look like seals because they were in a car at first, right? So this took place in... What's the name? I think it was Pacific Heights or um, in Australia in 1967. Now, I've only got, I really, I was trying to find I'm evidence. Tra- I'm really this. enjoying that they're in a car to start this off because in my head, the shark's going to come out the water and just fuck them up in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is an idea. That's quite funny. But no, that's not what happens. Um, right, I need to go into my history because I, I thought I had this bookmarked, but I don't um well anyway it was in australia and near sydney and the, it was 1967 mark and there was a couple i think well it doesn't really specify whether the people in the car were friends or they were family but it'll be an interesting point later on when i talk about what actually happens about who these people are in relation to each other because it's kind of fucked up mark so they were driving along this high road I think it's called Pacific Pacific Heights. Forgive me if I'm wrong. And it was they were driving along, and they've got a kid in the back, and he was playing with toys, and he dropped a, like a toy car or one of his toys anyway in the back seat, and it fell, and he was started crying. He was like, oh, "I want my toy." So the driver of the car, I don't know why the fuck they would do this, but they decided to shut the kid up and like help him out. He would he leaned back. <laughs> to try and find the car on the floor. And I'd like to say that's mind-blowing, but I strangely was saying to somebody <clears throat> on Friday that I feel like I see at least one person a week that is driving their car yeah. but is in some other part of their car than where the steering wheel is. So, <laughs> <laughs> so of course, because he was driving along this sort of curved, and it was all up on a high on a, near cliffs and there was a barrier next to them, because he looked away while he was looking for this toy car, the mo- the minutes that he looked away, and it probably wasn't a long time, it was probably a few seconds, he looked back up and his car basically lost control and he, I think maybe he was approaching a corner, so the car sort of crashed through the barrier and went down the hill and stopped for a few seconds, right? So they thought, oh, okay, we're all right, maybe we could get out. But no... The car started moving again, fell down the cliff and landed sort of, it didn't land in the sea. The sea was below them, but it landed in a way, it got stuck on some rocks whereby the car was facing, like, you know, the bonnet faced down. Mm-hmm. So it was vertical. So it got, I don't know whether they were wearing seatbelts or the impact of that well, it's 1967. Maybe they weren't wearing seatbelts. I don't know. But the woman who was in the passenger, the front passenger seat next to the driver 
fell through the windscreen and oh. she dropped I think it was like, I don't know she dropped down into the ocean below and she was just sort of lying on her back unconscious and this guy had no, no choice but to watch this happen I don't know whether it was his wife or his friend and there was two kids in the back I don't know whether it was one child and a younger person or an adult I don't know it doesn't specify but this woman's like lying on her back floating and you think oh well maybe she'll wake up and she'll be all right but no sharks get her and eat her (laughs) there was about 14 sharks all swimming around and of course maybe she's bleeding because she obviously like crashed through glass she lands in the water that attracts sharks they go "Mm, some tasty morsel here and they basically eat her she's probably still alive but yeah they ripped her apart so you had to watch that then the car eventually comes loose from the rock so before you can get out of the car to get like to, to escape the car then falls in the water with the two passengers in the back no. and the man cannot get he is wearing a seat belt hence why he didn't fall through the windscreen but he, it's it's stuck he can't get the the seat belt to like it's locked he can't get the seat belt off and um in the meanwhile there's sharks like swimming about this car it's not sunk yet but it will be sinking soon so he needs to get out of there quickly before the fucking sharks get him um and they're like swimming around this car looking in thinking "Mm, there's some nice um, snacks inside that car he's trying to get the the seatbelt off he eventually does he gets out he gets on top of the roof of the car and he's thinking what the hell am I going to do because it's not that far away from the shore so he could swim to the shore from the car, but then the risk is the sharks are going to get him. Yeah. But remember, there's two more people in the back of this car. And yeah, he's I was probably like, what's a, happening with the kids? He doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck about them. I'm assuming he f- thinks they're dead anyway. So he doesn't even attempt to rescue them. He's a <laughs> weird assumption that children strapped in in the back seats of your car when <laughs> you're fine or dead. He's probably thinking, well, if if the sharks get them they're not going to get to me do you know what I mean like a sacrifice kind of thing so by this point it's obviously attracted some attention so the cops are there or the police are the rescue um, people are there trying to get to him and there's a helicopter maybe I don't know 1967 if there's a helicopter but there were people at the top of the cliffs trying to help him <laughs> I'm now imagining the police going like is there anyone else on board and he's like yes save me save, <laughs> save me, me. <laughs> 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 so he thinks well i've got no choice the car's starting to sink so it's either sink and get eaten by sharks or try and swim really fast while he's all fucked up and concussed and his blood's like flowing down his face and get try and get to the shore and, and to safety so he just jumps and swims as fast as he can knowing all the while that these sharks might get him and he can hear them thrashing about behind him and he does make it to the shore and um, I'm assuming, yeah, I don't really know what happened to him after that. They didn't really, they didn't really go into the details. But my whole time, I was thinking, one, why wouldn't you get the passenger to just try and get the car for the boy, yeah, instead of doing it yourself like a fucking fanny? And two, you've just let sharks kill your passengers to save yourself. I mean, I suppose I would probably do the same thing. <laughs> Because they're probably dead anyway, so what? Really maybe you're just not have time to think. 
so I mean what what rotten luck though to you know think you're safe like you're fine you just stop in the cliff and it only fall through like not only you're in a crash then you fall through a windscreen and then you get eaten by sharks you just kind of <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah it does seem like it's from him yeah like seeing the movie or something and and it's actually, it's actually real because i've seen it in a youtube video and there's this it wasn't actual footage obviously but he put like stock footage of a car crash and sharks and stuff and it was quite a good tale and i was like this can't be real this is just absurd and then i looked it up and it was hard to find but there was like a small article just a really small article saying whole family nearly whole family killed by sharks and it was quite unremarkable about like the description and stuff, but except for how... the dad who abandoned family. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if they were his family. That's the question. Were they friends? Were they, or if they were his family, would he have cared more about trying to get them out the car before? Like, what would you do, Mark? <laughs> what would you do? I mean, as you pointed out, I wouldn't have edited my eyes off the road to <laughs> rifle yeah, about in the back of the car for no reason. It's a like you know when kangaroos I keep to the Australian theme kangaroos will willingly sacrifice their joy if there's a predator after them they'll throw their joy out the pouch and run away and so that the joy will get eaten because its logic is I can always have another joy as long as I survive it's cool maybe that's what that guy was thinking (laughs) (laughs) nobody wants to get eaten by sharks Mark I mean no nobody does want to get eaten by sharks but still, I wouldn't blame the sharks for that. I mean, they just go, they just happen to have a nice lunch that day. But like, or did those sharks go away and get a taste for human flesh and then go on to kill other people in that area? I just, I don't like know. Other cars falling into the water. Well, I thought it might have inspired the guy who wrote Jaws. He might have heard of that, or maybe, maybe. not. I don't know. It's the 60s, but. Uh, so well that was the story that I was teasing last week and I think yeah I mean that is a pretty horrific thing there's also like I mentioned the the um, film Open Water where you know I don't know whether they were just deliberately left maybe they were pains in the arses and they were like fuck them we'll just go without them you know the scuba divers yes they left them out in the middle of the ocean and they didn't come back for them and they were stuck there but no one knows how exactly they died but people assume well, people like to dramatise it up and say it was sharks that killed them, but I doubt it. I think they just drowned. I don't think sharks were interested. No. I speak for all shark I fans. think you're right. They would have been interested in that family because the blood falling through the glass would have caused blood everywhere. Yeah. It would have been like when you throw chum into the water because... Yeah, they were basically chum. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. They don't give a shit. Like, but I think it's funny that they were in... That's not funny. They were in a car and the sharks are like, mm, let's break open this kinder egg surprise because <laughs> <laughs> they can they think it might have been great whites or maybe tiger sharks that got them either way so i want to go back way back in time mark way back in time okay. and talk about some serial killers from ancient history that no one's really made into a movie which i think they should now have you heard of um procrustes I think that's no. how his name. So he's a a serial killer from Greek mythology, and he was the first ancient serial killer to appear in pop culture. <laughs> Just makes it sound quite a funny. Claim. 
I know, and he he was also known as the stretcher. <laughs> what do you think that entails? Uh, that I'm was assuming either he killed his victims by putting them on a stretching rack or he had Mr. Fantastic powers. Well, you're close. So he is from he was from Attica and he kept a house by the side of a busy road where he would offer hospitality to passing strangers. So someone would come by his house, he would just hang about and go, here, you look tired. Come on in and I'll give you some food and a nice bed to sleep in. I've got a lovely metal bed. I don't know why that was more appealing back then, but I no. didn't have a lot of metal beds back in ancient Greek times. <laughs> he usually invited travellers in for a comforting meal and night's rest in his very special iron bed. I don't know if I would agree to that, but maybe if you're tired back then and maybe the rules of hospitality in, in Greece was, yeah, it was fine, you know, for people to. Yeah, maybe people to weren't you. excited by it, you just wanted to lie down. but Yeah, so his victims would go in and unknown to them, if they were shorter than the bed, he liked to stretch them by hammering or racking the body to fit. <laughs> Alternatively, if the victim was longer than the bed, guess what he would do? He would cut off their legs to fit. He just liked to fit people in this bed perfectly. I don't know why. Yeah, it's a strange thing. But he just had to have them fit exactly in the bed. Um, so in both cases, the victims would die as the death due to terrible torture. And so how long did this go on for? We don't know how many people he actually killed during this method, but he was destroyed by his own method, by the younger instructor. I don't know how that is like relevant. I mean, because it doesn't actually say how old um, Procrustus was when he was carrying out these crimes. I mean, that implies that he was quite an old man, a big, strong old man, nevertheless. So Theseus, we know who Theseus is, because he's the yeah. guy that killed the Minotaur and stuff. And he, had um, he had what? The two ships. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I thought you said two ships. <laughs> yeah, so he decided to fuck him up and he basically had a fight with him and he put him in his own bed and killed him by chopping off his legs or whatever to fit him in the bed as he used to do to his victims. So this is, he's still discussed today thanks to his procrustean bed, which has come, become a proverbial for arbitrarily and violently Forcing someone or something to fit into a natural, unnatural scheme or pattern. There you are. Mm. Um, and we kind of know about them. We know about him. Right. I want to talk about werewolves, Mark. So we all know that there's werewolf horror. So there's quite a lot of werewolf horror stories, like the Wolfman and um, I don't know what other ones. American yeah. Werewolf in London. Name more. Ginger Snaps. Ginger Snaps. That's a good one. That is a good one. So this guy is called Peter Stump, and he was known as the Werewolf of Bedburg. I think you'll like this one. It is a true story. I, I mean, allegedly, I don't think he actually turned into a wolf, but I find it funny what what he said would like enable him to do it. So werewolf hysteria apparently kicked off in Europe in the 16th century, but no case exemplified the phenomenon more than the case of Peter Stump which is a funny name, <laughs> also known as the werewolf of Bedburg. Stump was, he was a wealthy farmer and he was born in a village of Eprath near Cologne. And he reportedly murdered and ate 14 children, including his own son. 
he also devoured his brain. So there's like a weird cannibalistic thing yeah. to that as well, and zombies, and t- and two pregnant women. He was also accused of having a repulsive sexual relationship with his own daughter. I mean, some people might not find that repulsive, like maybe the people you're talking about. Uh, He was proud to confess his crimes. Stump claimed that he had been given a magic belt by the devil, which allowed him to transform into the likeness of a greedy, strong and devouring wolf. So it's not nothing to do with the moon or being bitten by a wolf. The devil just gave him a magic belt. Black Philip gave him a belt. Yeah, and says, here, have fun turning into a wolf. <laughs> do what you want, I don't know. <laughs> Whilst in this form, he confessed to having gorged on the flesh of goats, lambs and sheep. I mean, that's fair enough. Yeah. But then he went on to men, women and children. So he was executed on Halloween, 1589. And of his daughter... And mistress, oh, they killed her, them as well. Why? What were they involved, or is it just because he fucked his daughter, and then they they said that his daughter? Yeah, that seems like he was sexually abusing his daughter, and they were like, yeah. and "You will also die." Like, why? Yeah, because apparently she was into it, but I guess she gets the blame as well. The it was quite a brutal execution. As a warning against similar behaviour, local authorities erected a pole with the torture wheel. He was he was killed on the wheel, you know, with the brake on a wheel. <laughs> I really thought you were going to say with a sign saying "Don't be a werewolf." Pretty much, actually, that's what they did because they erected the with he they erected a pole with the torture wheel attached to the top, and they actually made a figure of a wolf on it. And at the very top, they placed Peter Stump's severed head. No. So it reminds no. me of that scene in Game of Thrones where you know King Rob is heads replaced by his wolf head his dire wolf kind of thing yes yeah and then finally there's a guy and, and it's all in germany i don't know why there's so many serial killers in like before like the 18th century in germany but there's guys called christman which is an ironic name for someone who claims that he's the guy that's killed the most people so he's called christman genip pertig uh, genip Per Tigna, or it's a German surname, it's too long. I'm going to call him Christman Nipples. So, the monstrous serial killer of almost 1,000 victims. He wanted to reach 1,000, but unfortunately, he only got to 964, which is disappointing. I know. (laughs) He was considered the deadliest and worst serial killer in recorded history. This hideous monster is by far the sickest bandit. The sickest bandit of the 16th century. <laughs> sickest as in actual like sick, not like that sick man. <laughs> he probably thought he was quite sick. He was proud of his crimes. He was so proud of his crimes that he even kept a diary in which he detailed all the murders of not one, not two, but 964 individuals. Wow, he was really like grinding, like putting down the time. How does he get the time to do all of that? I don't know how he can... I don't know if I believe it. I think he's just making it up to make himself look cool in front of his serial killer friends. He might. That's a lot of people. Like, how would you get... I don't know. In addition to this evidence, he willingly admitted to the murders with a sense of superiority, adding that if he had reached his goal of a thousand victims, he would have been even happier. (laughs) Well, tough shit, mate. You're getting killed. Uh, He was also condemned to death by the breaking wheel on June 17th, 1581. 
He endured nine days on the wheel prior to expiring, however. He was kept alive on purpose with the aid of strong drinks and other medication of the time. So like cartel style, like where they basically rip people's skin off and then keep them alive by giving them adrenaline and stuff for several days. Pretty sick. Um, so that his heart would be strengthened and the torture continued. The end. <laughs> Lovely. Um, yeah. So there, those are my wee stories. Um, they're not like actual horror movies, but they could be. I'd like... <laughs> I also have a list of 10 historic events that are creepier than a horror movie, but I don't know if I agree with any of them, really. So <laughs> let's move on to you. Oh, well, here's one, which is interesting. I recently watched Napoleon, which I was very disappointed in, you know, Ridley Scott's one. It's like yeah. three hours long and it was just a bit meh. So Waterloo soldiers were ground up to fertilizer. Between Napoleon Bonaparte and ABBA, Waterloo is synonymous with historical calamities. 60,000 soldiers died on the Belgian field. But what the soldiers would never have guessed is that they would become part of a crucial part of English gardening. So a year after Waterloo, the fields were cleared. Companies collected all of the exposed soldier and horse bones. I mean, there was a kind of similar thing recently in our times whereby there was the horse meat scandal. Who knows what else would have been in that meat? You never know. Very true. To maximi- yeah. To maximise... Really not saying soldiers, but, <laughs> but I mean, maybe. I just don't know. People eat any old shit. They don't question it. They don't read the ingredients. So you could be eating people for all you know. To maximise the space, they converted the bones into a powder. The practice was common on many of Napoleon's other battlegrounds like Leipzig and Austerlitz. So newspapers at the time reported that in total they hauled more than a million bushels of human and inhuman bones. I don't know how much a bushel is. The fallen French army were ground up in Yorkshire factories. The fuck my ancestors did that. I'm from, like, my parents are from, well, my mum's from Yorkshire. So technically, I feel partly responsible for Your granny ground up the French. It it wasn't just, I don't know if it was just the French term. It might be the English as well. Anyway, so the marking their second defeat to the English, putting the man they then put the men's bones in manure or the ground up bones into manure the remains were mixed together as an additive in fertilizers so the oil from the marrow proved to be especially helpful rivaling almost any other substance with a positive spin on this wide-scale grave robbing contemporary newspapers said a dead soldier is the most valuable article of commerce Sent in mass to Doncaster, the compound helped grow the plants in England's agriculture centre. Local farmers could buy it to help grow their own crops. A generation of Europeans ate food made with the help of dead bodies. Harrible Lecter would have been proud and satiated. So basically, they ground up dead people, put them in manure, grew like vegetables and stuff, and people ate it. Why don't they do that now in like a post-Brexit Britain? They might. They would if they could get away with it. <laughs> the Tories would if they could get away with it, definitely. Rushy would definitely grind up a poor person. I mean, if you could make a group. pound. Yeah, and then could make... state it casually on the news. You'd be like, yeah, well, I'd grind her up, but she was very, very poor and my wife likes tulips. <laughs> <laughs> and then look confused at the camera, like, why is everyone staring at me like I'm a monster? I mean, if you run out of space and I suppose you can make money out of anything, why not dead people's ashes? I mean, if crematoriums could, like, how do you know you're really getting your 
ashes of your dead one loved ones it could just be dust and then they actually sail on for fertilizer those bastards <laughs> you eat your grand or whatever <laughs> right well that's my um fair my part of the podcast let's move on to yours because i can't wait for this i've been looking forward to this for since this morning when you told me about the name of this family that inspired what might an inspiration for a famous film an inspiration for many a thing so oh, okay i am looking as i told you uh, as as recommended by the myth mother the myth mother oh the myth mother uh at the benders the benders yeah. <laughs> so the benders are a family that inspired quite a lot of horror uh there's quite a lot of books nearly all of which i haven't read but i kind of yeah i've never out. heard of them so they inspired the 1943 uh, horror novel They Bite by Anthony Boucher, Mm. the 1960 horror novel Candle of the Wicked by Manly Wade Wellman. I love it. (laughs) Manly. Uh, The 1970 horror novel, which is quite on the nose given their name, The Bloody Benders by Robert Adelman. That needs to be a sitcom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. At the end, once I've told you everything, we have to come back and decide who we play in the sitcom. Okay. Uh, and the 2004 horror novel Cottonwood by Scott Phillips. Quite a lot of inspiration there for artists. They're also featured in American Gods, which I didn't even realise until I started okay. researching it. Uh-huh. So they're the reason that Chernobog is at its strongest when they go to Cherryvale in Kansas. Who's Chernobog again? Is that the Russian one? Chernobog's like the old Russian guy and remember yeah. when they're trying oh, to like yeah. power up, repower his hammer so that's oh, where yeah. they go to and they're the reason for that we will come back to why that is in the story they also uh, partially inspired the Texas Chainsaw Massacre right mm-hmm. the Hills Have Eyes mm-hmm. House of a Thousand Corpses Rob Zombie yep mm-hmm. and the 2016 film that I've never heard of The Benders there's actually a movie called The Benders. There oh, is. I need to check that out. We need to watch it. Yeah. Okay. I'm also, and as we go through it, you'll get why, pretty sure that they must have at least vaguely inspired. Now, this isn't anywhere, but I feel like we can speak to them the degree. Uh, some of the sketches in The League of Gentlemen, because there's some of the stuff in here that I'm like, this is The League of Gentlemen. It's funny to say The League of Gentlemen, because it's now coming up to the 25th anniversary of when League of Gentlemen was first broadcast on BBC Rice, 2, I think. That makes us really old because I remember yeah. when it first opened with Benjamin coming to his aunt and uncle. Anyway, yeah, fuck's sake. Similarly, <laughs> Myth Mother links because remember, yeah. remember, remember 25 years ago, but yeah, you possibly do, that you watched the first episode and I hadn't and it was my mum that was like, I watched this new series the other night, it's the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> your mum. And <laughs> insanely, so mm-hmm. you know Little House in the Prairie that was on when we no. were No, yeah. Yeah, so... I didn't know this until I started researching them. So it's a true story. Did you know this? Yeah, I know that Little House in the Prairie was a true story based on... I didn't know that. So Laura Ingalls, actual person, who wrote it, the character Laura Ingalls in the show. Mm -hmm. So where the the Little House in the Prairie house was... Was it Oklahoma? I'm not sure. Well, it was basically the Benders lived on a trail in between... Uh, they lived on the Great Osage Trail, which is in between Oklahoma and Kansas. Right. And Laura Ingalls, the real life Laura Ingalls, grew up on on that bit of the prairie. So I thought you were going to say she was like, 
she hung out with the benders. But she knew them. They're no mentioned in her book. Fucking hell. I don't even know what they've done yet, and I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I should tell you. So who are the benders, Leslie? Yeah, please do. So in October 1870, five families arrived in Kansas, and they settled in and helped with the creation of a new town called Cherryvale, which was That's founded... Exactly officially founded seven months after these families arrived. Mm-hmm. One of the families uh, was had only two members, but this wasn't unusual at this point in time, because the family were John Bender. John senior. Bender? For, sorry, that's from The Breakfast Club. John Bender? John Bender Sr. and John Bender Jr. Yeah, John Bender's like the rebellious kid in the the Breakfast Club who I gets princess that. at the end. Yeah, that's why I was saying to you the only Benders I know, the only Benders I know besides you, <laughs> <laughs> besides you, um, we are Bender from Futurama and John Bender from yeah, the Breakfast Club. So okay. Well, there we go. We've John got Bender's some family. Benders to add to it. Mm-hmm. So that was quite common that like just the males in the family would arrive and help with the starting work, and then when they went on to like sort of sorting the the land itself out the women would arrive so mm-hmm. nobody really knew where this family had come from yeah because i was thinking what country there. are the immigrants because i was thinking are they actual yeah. like yeah because what maybe countries might not want to claim them as their own well not even because of, like it was just very unclear like people okay they definitely spoke like some sort of germanic language but people that oh were, there we go germany didn't people who were german that settled there <laughs> said that they didn't speak german right uh, also, sort of... John Bender, which was quite common at that point in time, definitely wasn't his original name. Yeah, because I'm like, that's not a very Germanic name. No. Hmm. So we'll yeah. come back to the individual members of the family, and there's some ideas on who he might have been. So they set up shop on a 100 on 160 acres of land, which they, as I said, with the Laura Ingle stuff, they claimed their land on the road into Cherryvale. So actually just outside of the town on the Great Osage Trail, they mm-hmm. built a cabin, a barn, a corral, a general dry goods store, uh, what wasn't called a B&B at that point in time, but effectively a B&B, um, a vegetable garden and an apple orchard on their land. Oh, well, so they were well, they're very productive. Yeah. Ticking a lot of boxes, doing great. a lot of things. Yeah. Sounds fairly normal to me. Yeah. That seemed like a normal family so far. In the yep. September of 1871, John <laughs> Sr.'s wife, mm-hmm. prepare for everything to get slightly weirder. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> John Sr.'s wife, Elvira. Elvira? Elvira. That's amazing, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. <laughs> okay. Elvira does sound like an evil name, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her daughter, Kate, Not so who good. she told some people were her sister, was her sister, but most people was her daughter. What? Yes, so in 1871, John Sr.'s <laughs> wife, Elvira, and her sister-daughter, Kate, arrived. Sister-daughter. She's her sister and her daughter, and her name is Kate. Well, maybe that was a bit more common back in those days. I'm trying to justify <laughs> it, but, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a lot of people to kind of date. I feel like ancestral so... molestation was probably more common back then, but I imagine people yeah. just picked one and went with it. I don't think most people were like, she is my sister-daughter. <laughs> but Elvira was. Right, what happened then? So um, I'll break the family down a little bit. So we've got John Sr., who was maybe born Wilhelm Flickinger. Okay, that's definitely German. <laughs> Flickinger? 
he, he, I'm imagining him to be like the grandpa in the, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre family. Yes, he's very that. Oh, okay. So right. Wilhelm, again, unclear where he came from. We know he came from Europe to set up in America, but they don't know exactly where. Again, most people said he was German, but the actual German people that had settled nearby said that he wasn't German. By 1871, when he came to help set up Cherryvale, he was in his mid-60s. Yeah, so the old grandpa cunt in the wheelchair, basically. (laughs) He couldn't speak a word of English. Oh, right. But also, again, there was a local German community and he couldn't speak a word to them, so no one could communicate with him. Uh, He was, and I've pulled some things here from... So, again, they're definitely real historical figures, so there's, like, lots of quotes about them. People that live nearby, so he was, according to other residents, repulsive, hideous, a brute, a man without a single redeeming trait. Wow, the dirtiest man that one of his neighbors had ever seen, and extremely (laughs) ill tempered. Which is the worst out of that being ill tempered or being really dirty? I think the dirtiest man that anyone's ever seen is like up there. Like, I'm just imagining him like just absolutely caked and shit. I mean, stinking. But then yeah. most people probably stink. If if most people That's stink, the thing as well. I'm like if everyone was stinking and yeah. everyone was building he, a town out of dirt, yeah. him as a standout, like he's he dirty. Must have been really bad. Yeah. Okay. So John Junior's actual name was John, which makes it even more confusing that Wilhelm changed his name to John because John Junior was originally called John, so he was John Flickinger. <laughs> he was around 25 years old in 1871. He was said by local residents to be extremely handsome with thick auburn hair and a thick auburn moustache. Oh my god, that's uh, Matthew McConaughey character in the <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. Because <laughs> he was a handsome guy, but he was completely mental from the family. Yep, yep. Uh, very much. So he spoke excellent English with an accent uh-huh. and <laughs> was constantly laughing but not like people were saying he was jolly. Like people commented on how it unnerved them because he just laughed hysterically all so the like time. So like the Joker. Like yes, he's just like, laughing randomly all the time. All yeah, the that time. is nuts. That's very unnerving when someone just laughs like that. <laughs> You're like, what's going on? It's not contagious laughter. You're just kind of scary laughter. Aye. When um, Senator York, who we'll get back to later in the story, was investigating this case, uh, one neighbour said to him when asked what he meant by he laughed constantly, he said... <laughs> John was very hyena-like. Wow. And always. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Always what? And always, and every way you could. Oh, like and always. Hyena. Yes. Right. So he, so he was handsome, but he was very hyena-like. Yep. Okay. Handsome. He looked like a hyena. Human, but he acted <laughs> like a hyena. Laughed constantly, like a hyena. Yeah. Well, apart from that, what? What? I mean, that doesn't sound too bad so far. Like it's crazy, okay. but it's not like scary crazy horror story crazy so you can let's Elvira then okay <laughs> so Elvira firstly was called Elvira uh, she was 55 in 1871 mm-hmm. she could speak a little English neighbours said that she was so aggressive and unfriendly that nobody actually called her Elvira and everyone in town called her she devil <laughs> right when asked what not she to her face though 
Uh, no, I think that was just like what people referred to it as. Right. When asked by Senator York when he was attempting to track her down, which again we'll come back to later in the story, uh, what he should look out for, he was told <laughs> someone who looks like a stereotypical crone or hag. <laughs> how did they produce such a handsome child then? Yeah. Maybe they were hot when they were younger. You know how like you get really hot people from Eastern Europe, but then when they reach a certain age, they just sort of switch to an old yeah, hag. Yeah, like they It's weird. Yeah, strange. <laughs> so Elvira had previously gone by many other names, uh, in oh. part because she'd been married five different times prior to marrying John Senior. I wonder what happened to her husbands. Well, that's a good question because her previous marriages, uh, she was known in one marriage as Almira Hellmark because she was married to her murder victim, Simon Hellmark, in the 1840s. I'm not surprised. <laughs> After that, she was known as Almira Griffin for a time because she was married to William Stephen Griffin until she murdered him in 1961. Wow. No, wait, 1861 it must be. You oh, it is 1861. She didn't time travel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to our knowledge, Elvira had at least 12 children, and she often told people that Kate, her sister, was her favourite of her daughters and her fifth daughter to be born. Right, okay. Is Kate mental and all? I'll tell you. Please so do. Kate was 23 in 1871. Kate spoke perfect English without an accent, which is confusing. Oh. Maybe it's just like without uh, like she's just American. I suppose, and also yeah. no one was really American at that point in time. So I suppose without an accent just meant you were easy to understand. Yeah. Uh, Kate was thought to be extremely attractive, like unbelievably attractive. Uh, in fact, she was described by one man as the walking embodiment of sexual magnetism. Wow. With flaming auburn hair, just like Jolene. Just like Jolene. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Obviously, the neighbour didn't say just like Jolene because he died before that song was written. <laughs> but that was what he was thinking. Yeah. Kate yeah. didn't join in the family 17 businesses. She actually ran her own business when she moved to town. Oh, strong independent women. Strong independent women with supernatural powers because uh, as Kate went door to door, Round all surrounding towns and informed everyone individually. She could heal the sick. She was psychic. She could contact spirits, and she was also able to lead any seance on anything. I'd imagine just because she's really hot that people would just ignore that kind of madness and, and just let her do whatever just for a bit of attention from her. A hundred percent. Like it's right. that. Okay. Like I bet people thought she was really interesting because yeah, you're right. If like if Elvira came to your door and was like. I see the dead. She'd be like, oh. Fuck <laughs> off. Kate was like, did you know I see the dead? People were like, oh my God, you're so fit. That's amazing. Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> uh, Kate had affairs with several townsfolk, male and female. Mm, when confronted about this, not when their crimes were found out, but just generally when confronted about this, uh, Kate stated that she believed in free love. Oh, very ahead of her time then. Very ahead the of her time. 60s. Mm-hmm. Again, um, I don't see what's wrong with that. Uh-huh. And when challenged by one woman for having sex with her husband, Kate turned to her and was quoted as saying, back off because I am responsible to no one save myself. I love it. 
Yep. She is, I can see where the House of One Thousand Corpses inspiration is in, because she sounds like Sherry Moon from um, yes. Rob Zombie's wife, and she plays that kind of character. Like a really hot woman who goes around like killing people with a f- bunch of other nutters. That is... I don't know if that's what she does, but like it sounds very like her. Mike, where Kate's going? Okay. <laughs> now, as well as it being unclear if she was uh, Elvira's sister, daughter, or both, it was also unclear to the people of the town if she and so John Jr. was her husband, but not her brother or her father. But so John Jr. was her husband, but also probably her brother. Oh my god! <laughs> and again, when a townsperson um, confronted her and said that she was having a sexual relationship with her own brother, and that you could not, in the eyes of God, marry your brother. She said mm-hmm. that she wasn't married to him. He was her brother. She was merely his common-law wife, and that they were one well, in common passion. Well, that makes it all right then. Fine, <laughs> 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 you go, love. Also, I'm thinking they were definitely brother and sister because they're both ginger hotties, and I feel like a ginger hottie on the prairie seems quite unlikely. Yeah, but you'd think uh, being born out of incest would make you all like kind of mutilated and like disabled. Would you not? I mean, maybe all of uh, Elvira's daughters that she didn't Maybe in the mines. Had arms coming out their eyes and stuff. <laughs> so they were born hot, but their minds were fucked up, basically, out of incest. I mean, John Jr. Saying? had the mind of, of a hyena, so definitely. Well, yeah, I suppose if you go around laughing like a hyena, there's definitely something wrong with you as a result of incest. Right, okay, so... What's next? So, I feel like we've already got enough to have like a weird TV show on, but uh, yeah, what, definitely what they did gets much more mental. Mm. So between <laughs> 1872 and 1874, they killed at least, but definitely many more than nine different guests that were staying in their B&B. Oh, right. Convenient, I suppose. Like a bit like the Greek guy, except he didn't try it. They maybe Very like him. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that we're talking about them. Uh, they killed them by crushing their skulls in a ritualistic sacrifice to Chernobog with a huge mallet. Oh, okay. So is that like American gods then? Because he's yeah. a huge mallet, right? Ah, see them all linking together. And so what did no they locals do? were subjected to this. It was only travellers. Yeah, so because people wouldn't miss them. Obviously, it would be stupid to get locals because then they would have found out yeah. quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not like they can just go on TripAdvisor and say, by the way, I wouldn't go here because they'll smash your head in with a yeah, mallet. They'll smash your head in with One star. <laughs> so, they're for, not their recorded first victim, but you'll agree with me that this is definitely their first victim. Or, I mean, they could have had victims before this, but this guy's definitely their victim. So, in May 1872, two teenagers were fishing and they found a man in a creek just outside of town. Now, when I say a man, I actually mean the torso of a man with oh. a, a exploded skull and head that were in stripped <laughs> fragments hanging from his neck. Not the kind of fish you want to be catching, but... No. <laughs> the exploded-headed man was identified as William Jones, uh-huh. who had last been seen travelling the Great Osage Trail. How the fuck did he know it was him if his head was smashed in? I don't know, and I couldn't find any information. It's not like they've got dental records or anything. Maybe, maybe they, he had clothes on his torso. I don't know. I don't really get it. Okay, yeah, fair dues. Sorry, interrupt. 
So the only clue that as to who had killed him was that there was where his body was dumped. It Uh was clear that like a cart had dumped him, and the cart tracks that went up to where he was dumped and away uh, were very unusual in that they clearly had huge wide set wheels at the front and tiny close together wheels at the back. Right. Which is a strange setup for a cart. But with nothing else to go on, the local sheriff couldn't do anything. There was no other evidence of anything involved. They weren't they didn't exactly have high tech forensic technology back then, yeah. So then in January of 1873, the snows on the prairie melted, which I didn't realise was a thing, but apparently they get very thick snow. Yeah, they will. Mm-hmm. Like in Fargo. Mm-hmm. And Which it I need to watch the new series. Uh-huh. Melted to reveal two men, both of them also had had their skulls explosively crushed. You'd think they would, like, bury them better or something, or maybe they just didn't have the mental capacity, or maybe they just didn't care. Like, I don't understand. Okay. Fair enough, they're buried by snow. Nobody's going to see them but eventually. Like, yeah, like you say. Well, I mean, the first guy did actually just rolled out in a creek and went away. Fair enough. I guess they just don't care. All right. So these two guys, were they crushed out? Were they just similar to yep. Jones? Right. Mm-hmm. Exploded skulls as well. So in November 1873, two different men vanished. Henry Mackenzie, who was the cousin of the sheriff and had been travelling the Great Osage Trail to come visit the sheriff. And George Leoncourt. Leoncourt, like Lestat, Leoncourt. Leoncourt. Like Lestat, indeed. Uh, who was a widower and was travelling with his young daughter because they were going to stay with his parents after the death of his wife. Oh, no. It's not going to end well for him. Obviously. <clears throat> In spring 1874, mm-hmm. George Leoncourt's friend, Dr York, was also travelling the old Osage Trail. He was going to visit his brother. And he, while he was travelling, heard about an abandoned wagon and horses that had been found nearby in December 73. When he saw the horses, he believed that they were his and the person who had taken the horses into their stable took him out to where the wagon was abandoned. And it was, in fact, his wagon. He realised that it was the wagon and horses that he'd lent to his friend George. Ah, okay. Which he'd never reached. So they now knew that George had disappeared in or around the town that I've forgotten the name of that's really pretty. The town of Cherryvale. Cherry, Cherry Hall, what was it called again? Cherryvale, Cherryvale. Cherryvale, yeah, yeah. So they knew that George had disappeared in or around, and his daughter had disappeared in or around Cherryvale. So Dr York went to visit his brother, and on his return journey, he popped into the Bender's shop. He was seen travelling up to the Bender's shop to get some dry goods was the shop run by a bender or was it did they hire people to run the shop no they did everything even though they had all these different businesses it was just okay how many benders are there is it just kate and what's the other guy's name john or they Uh, must have other kids no it it was just even though i get i get that they're running like seven businesses but it was just john senior elvira john junior and kate okay I just don't understand they can run all these businesses with like well they must have hired some people surely to fuck no apparently they had no staff whatsoever wow okay right okay so he went in the shop was served by one of the benders and, and that was it he went oh. in the shop people knew what he was going in the shop for he had informed an old lady that he was going to the shop to buy tobacco it's a bit like Tubbs and Edwards you know go yeah <laughs> don't leave <laughs> and they don't kill the locals so that that was my exact thought like he goes in and 
Oh, so it's like, not you do here before. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm just travelling the Great Osage Trail. They're like, we don't like it. This is the local shop for local people. So, so Doctor York is never seen again. Yeah. Senator York, the doctor's brother that he was visiting, and some of his men came to investigate. He took a short amount of time to track down that he'd been at the Benders. So he went to the Bender shop and confronted them. Um, he confronted Elvira, who apparently responded by saying, I don't glass. <laughs> so she went away in the back and out comes sexy, sexy Kate. So Kate's apparently being all like Catwoman sexy, like leaning up against the shop door frame and explaining to him that her and her mother are so very confused. Um, yeah, good tactic. She said yep. that, yes, the man that he was describing had come to her shop. The mother remembered him being in, but then he'd left. Mm, well, so yeah, the senator says that he wants to discuss this further. And Kate's all like, well, why don't you come round by yourself tomorrow night and discuss it further just with me? In my room. Instead of doing that, Senator York agreed and then had to look around their property. He noticed that the Benders had a very unusual wagon. The reason that the wagon was very unusual is because it had extremely large, wide set front wheels and extremely tiny, close together back wheels. Okay. At this point. No, you go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just wondering why why they would build it like that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they're quite odd. (laughs) Yeah, fair does. I mean, maybe they just like to have like unique, like someone wants to pimp pimp out their car. They're just pimping out a wagon to look differently. Maybe that's it. Uh Senator York then goes to gather more information in the town. So in gathering information, he finds out that William Pickering. This is turning into a fucking David Lynch show now. He's like Agent Cooper. Yeah. You're like Senator Agent Cooper trying to find out what the fuck's going on in this weird town. Okay. So he found (laughs) out the story of William Pickering, a man from out of town who had informed Uh people in the town that he had been invited for a meal by Kate when visiting the town. Uh, he obviously jumped at the chance to have dinner with Kate. When they got to, basically he came, he sat down at the dining table, uh, they were going to bring the food out, and Kate was insistent that he had to move from the seat he was sitting in and sit in the guest chair. He said he no. was comfortable where he was, and she said, dinner will not be served until you sit in the guest chair. What? He said, no, thank you, I'm fine where I am. And at this point... Kate pulled a knife from her boot, held it to his throat, and hissed at him, sit in the guest chair. (laughs) (laughs) He stood up to walk towards the guest chair and then fled. Yeah, I would do the same. (laughs) And then to the town, where he informed people of why he'd fled. Mm. He also found the story of Father Progello. Father Progello, the local So the local priest informed the investigating York that Father Progello had complained to him that when passing through the town, he was at the Benders for dinner, not to actually stay overnight, but he'd gone there for a meal because it was like a and b He was sitting eating his dinner in the guest chair where they'd insisted that he sat. They said it was the most important chair in the house. But again, this is a very Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Being yep, being very distracted during his meal because John Senior and Kate kept whispering to each other in a language that he didn't know and had never heard before. <laughs> K- 
Kate then demanded that, or seemed to be demanding that John go somewhere. John Senior then left the room (laughs) and returned with a massive bloodstained sledgehammer. Oh my god! (laughs) At which point, Father Progello ran from the house. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. As you would, yeah. I suppose that, yeah, that's very Texas Chainsaw Massacre, isn't it? Because, yeah. like, it's a grandpa that comes up to the per- person sitting in the chair and hits them with a hammer. Okay, it's not a mallet, but it's similar. Yes. Okay, yeah. Uh, a local woman also told of how her sister had stayed with the Benders when she'd come to visit <laughs> uh, yeah. and had been made, again, had been forcibly made to sit in the guest chair, but... <laughs> but had leapt from her seat mid-conversation and returned to her sister's house to stay, saying that she was very, very concerned. <laughs> when mid-meal, Kate jumped to her feet and screamed, now at the top of her lungs. <laughs> <laughs> she just went the dessert was ready. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it they didn't pick on locals, though? But they like they are. I don't think they would have realised that, because oh. it wasn't the local woman, it was her sister, so she actually stayed. Ah, uh. She travelled okay. there to see her sister. Right. <laughs> so after gathering this information the next morning, the uh, York and some of the other investigators went to arrest the benders, but the benders were gone. So do you think the benders knew that the jig was up? Yeah. Right. Where did he go? I think to once they realised that she couldn't pretend she was going to shag him and then kill him with a mallet, she was like, fuck, we need to leave. So York Mm. tore up the cabin and they noticed as soon as they entered the cabin that it reeked and was full of flies. That would be John Bender Sr. (laughs) Because he's really dirty. (laughs) He hadn't actually left. He was just sitting (laughs) in the living room having a drink. (laughs) But he Uh, couldn't see him. He was so encrusted in shit that he blended in with all the other The flies were all wasting on him. Yeah. (laughs) So as they moved things about, they found that under the dining table, under the chair at the head of the table... There was a trapdoor. Oh, no. <laughs> Underneath the trapdoor, they found a cellar. The entire cellar was coated in blood and brains. Oh, oh no. They also found several shallow graves on the property with corpses, all of which had exploded skulls. Oh, how many people did they kill? There were nine corpses in total on the land. So not counting all the other ones, that was what they were wanting to they were going to charge them with nine counts of murder. So the nine bodies found in the land included that of Dr. York, George Leancourt, uh, mm. Miss Leancourt, so George's daughter, yeah. one unnamed woman and five unnamed men. The right. little girl and the woman were the only corpses that were full and they didn't seem to have any injuries to them, implying that they'd maybe been like poisoned or smothered. Oh, OK. Or maybe they were just thrown down there and left to die. That's horrible. Okay. Uh, All of the men had had their heads smashed with a sledgehammer. Mm. And half of the male corpses had had their genitalia cut off. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Assumed by Kate, make earrings. Yeah, probably. (laughs) I I know this is a bit of a, a segue, but I read recently that there was a man who was jailed for uh, and I'm not surprised at this but it's pretty fucked up that he was paid five well he was told he would be paid five hundred dollars or pounds to cut a guy's dick and balls off in front of a camera for a film um for like a 
it's a niche type of porn felt like porn category where people like to get mutilated I don't know what what who would be into that. Well, I mean, I guess someone's into something mad like that somewhere. But geez. I mean, how much did you say they were paying him? Five hundred pounds. Yeah, that's not he, much, is it? Nobody's no, that. No, but it gets it gets worse, right? So the guys like he says, right, when are we going to do this? And he goes, no, actually, you're only getting paid fifty pounds or seventy. And he's like, oh Jesus Christ, okay, fine then, I'll I'll do it then for that amount. And he's pissed off. So he strap him down onto this, this the guy that wants to, it done. He strap him down onto this table and he acts all fearful, but they think he's just acting that way. He actually wants it to happen. The guy cuts off his dick on camera and then he throws it in a bucket and he no, he, he doesn't throw it in a bucket, he just I don't know what he does with it. And obviously it's not proper surgeon, so it's pretty botched. And he goes, Well, that's one off my bucket list. I've never cut a man's dick off before. <laughs> like <laughs> for seventy pounds. And then the guy who's like been mutilated or whatever, apparently as well, he had his arm cut off on camera. So he'd, he'd done it before. He phones the hospital and he goes, um, uh, I had a bit of an accident um, trying to do surgery on my cock or something. And that's what he said. But then, yeah, I don't know how it got out that he must have told them what actually happened. And then they arrested this guy and, and put him in the jail for, but I don't know. I mean, it was a transaction and, he volunteered, so how is that a crime? Maybe it was a porn ass, but they're selling it online for like, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> that's I mean, horrific. Insane. That's like something at a hostel, or I don't know. But I feel I like when I don't know why, but it's only pound bits. The bit that's getting me. What? The, like if someone the, was like, I really get off on people drinking milkshakes. Mm-hmm. I want you to drink a milkshake in front of me while I touch myself, and I'll give you seventy pound. I'll be like, no, seventy pound is not enough money. Yeah, I know. And that's not that. I mean, I drink a milkshake for free under non-sexual circumstances. So. Hmm. I know, I don't get it. Like, he must have been really desperate for And he was raging the whole time about how this guy only paid him 70 when he should have been getting 500. But whatever, I'll just do it anyway. Like, it's, it's absolutely insane. But anyway, back to the benders. <laughs> okay, so they were gone. No trace. Yep. Now, there are a couple of different what happened next. It's up to you to pick the one you agree with. Although I've put them in order in which I agree with them. So So there's no real evidence of any of these are the actual, like, what happened to Because nobody knows for sure what became the vendors. So is this where the Hills of Eyes come from? Is that where they ran to the hills and sort of became... Yes. Like, oh, okay, right, right. Okay, right, carry on. So that's definitely not what happened, but there was, yeah, so technically... There was a theory... Mm-hmm. There was the urban legend that they went into the hills and that all four of them continued to have babies up there and yeah. the babies were all monsters and you had to stay away from the hills or they get you. Mm. Um, there is so all together there was three thousand dollars worth of reward offered for anyone who could find and kill the vendors. <laughs> there was a group of men in their early twenties from the local area who said that they had found all four of them lynched them and left them dead however they were unable to produce any evidence of this or any bodies and weren't able to take the yeah uh, the to see the bodies yeah like nice try try to get the money but you can't just say you've killed someone and then said oh actually the bodies aren't there like you need evidence and as like, if four men in the 20s could kill kate she wouldn't be having right, that exactly no she'd fuck somebody deaf and then smash her heads in with a yeah. hammer and then She's screaming now all over the place. Now! 
right. In October, so this is the second one. So in October, I get this is a. All of these are historically factual events as well, which makes it even more confusing. So in October 1889, a wealthy woman named Frances McCann confided in her maid that she was having trouble sleeping because she kept having recurring nightmares. She explained that in the nightmares, there was a man hanging half in and half out a trapdoor, choking on his own blood. She said they were in some tiny rickety wooden bed and breakfast. Uh, she knew that they were staying where guests stayed and that in the dream, there was a terrifying looking old woman pointing towards the door with one hand and to Francis with the other hand, yelling uh, in an unknown language, but that somehow Francis could understand. She shouldn't be there. The child is not supposed to be here. Take her out. Take her out just now. Oh, a bender dream. A bender dream. So Francis' maid, Sarah, uh-huh. who had been her maid since childhood, uh-huh. started to sob and said to Sarah, it was no dream. It happened. Oh. Sarah told Francis that her mother was Sarah's sister. Oh, one of those ones. Right. <laughs> and that she had seen... And that, so, sorry, right, so uh? in her dream, yeah, Francis, the lady having the dream, yeah, had seen Sarah, or maid, right, Kate, Sarah's sister, Sarah's older sister. Hold no, on, I'm going to start this again, right? This I'm is really confused. Confusing. I'm really confused. So, you're saying that there was, <laughs> right? So, Francis has had the dream, she's okay. talking to Sarah. So, Sarah explains to Francis that it was no dream. And that it was a real event and that uh-huh. she was remembering when she and Sarah were little girls. Right. And they lived together in the cabin with a lady named Kate. Oh. Kate was Sarah's much older sister and she was also Francis's mother. Uh-huh. That the dream was a memory of their grandmother screaming at Kate to take her out of the room. So because the girls shouldn't be seeing the murder. So they're benders? So Sarah explained to Francis that Francis was actually Francis Bender. <gasps> the terrifying old lady in the dream was her grandmother, Elvira Bender, and that the man hanging half in and half out the hatch was John Bender Jr., whose murder, along with that of his father, John Bender Sr., had mm. been carried out by <laughs> Kate and Elvira, and then the four women had fled the house. Oh, right. So that's an explanation about what happened when he was investigating and them disappearing. Yeah, so basically the men had been smashed up by the sledgehammer. Yeah, but then he would have found the body in the the house. But then not necessarily, because it did say the underside of the trapdoor was absolutely full of, like, blood. Oh, yeah, I suppose they could have threw him in there. And she's got previous for killing husbands, so that's... Yeah, she loves killing husbands. Right. I might buy that as yeah, that might be true. So Francis went straight to the police with this story and the police uh, managed to track down Sarah uh-huh. and Elvira. Both were arrested. Sarah was released after giving her statement because she was obviously a small child at the time. They were unable to track down her sister, Kate, and they later released Elvira with no charge because, now this is very confusing, this Elvira vendor. 
right. said that she couldn't be the Elvira Bender of the Benders because she was in jail for four months in 1872. Yeah, but there can't be that many people called Elvira Bender. No, and also it's like, well, she was even if she was in jail for several months in 1872, that like the murders took place over the space of like three and a half years, so. Mm. Yeah. But he said if she was in jail in 1872, she couldn't possibly be that Elvira Bender, so she was released from jail. Right, well, I don't know, I'm really confused now. Okay. So I think that one's quite believable, but there's also the third version of events, which is this. So census records show that John Bender Jr. and his wife, Catherine, both of whom had come over from Germany, had arrived in the States in 1870, in the case right. of John and 1871 in the case of Catherine, and that they both arrived to go and visit his father, John Sr., in Kansas. Is this a hyena guy? Yeah, the hyena guy. Okay. Right, so so he he arrived in 1870 from Germany. Okay. And was going to visit his father. Right, I don't know if I buy this, because he was speaking... Like, oh, but he did have an accent, you said, so yes, okay, right, okay, well, maybe that makes sense, right? Okay, yeah, carry on. Uh-huh. And then his wife Catherine comes over from Germany in 1871 to go out to meet him and his father, and now yeah. she's coming from Germany, but to be fair, she didn't necessarily have to be German to be his wife. No, uh, they were then completely recordless, so they're recorded arriving in the States where they're going, they're going to Kansas, there's no more record of them until 1878 in Colorado when. John Bender Jr. and his wife, now going by Kate Bender, appear in Kansas. Kate opened the tavern and John had work as a blacksmith. Wait, are you saying that John Bender Jr. and Catherine are brother and sister and wife, husband and wife? And husband and wife. Oh, And again, names-wise, actually, I feel like you can stick the first two stories together. And if they don't murder John Jr., this makes sense, because really, maybe they just murdered John Sr. So they basically set up shop in another part of Kansas. Kate opens a tavern. John works as a blacksmith. Uh, They were both noticeably, spectacularly hot, as commented by all the townspeople. They were both ginger. John died very young, shortly after he opened his blacksmith shop. Kate, however, lived until she was very old, made a fortune from her tavern that she opened and ended up spending the last 20 years of her life into her 80s travelling around the world. Okay, but did she kill anyone? Well, no. Did she hang out with a guy called Captain Spalding? (laughs) There's also set of events number four. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Is this the last one? Yes. Right. So there is belief and again these are actual historical figures that after they escaped the benders split up but john and kate stayed together john took the americanized version of his father's name so he changed his name to william kate kept the name kate and they changed their surname to kelly right so they became william and kate kelly now i kind of believe this because william and kate kelly are two famous early American serial killers. They had two children called Billy and Kit. And between the four of them, they murdered at least 11 people. Everyone they murdered was a traveller. Right, that stands, yeah. They all murdered them in their tavern. Mm -hmm. 
Their tavern was built on the No Man's Land Trail leading out of Oklahoma. Were they ginger? They were ginger. You can't trust gingers. There you go. These murders took place between 1885 and 1875. Uh When they were arrested, it was found that they definitely murdered at least 11 of their travellers. And it was easy to work out how they'd murdered them because in their tavern, there was a specific seat that they made all the travellers sit in to have their food at the head of the table, underneath which they built a trapdoor into the floor. The people would fall through the trapdoor when opened and John Jr. would then go down, or now William Kelly, William Kelly would go down and smash their head in with the blunt end of an axe. Okay, here's what I think happened then. So while he was away investigating, the Kate's like, nah, we better get the fuck out of here. But our dad was too old and decrepit and dirty to leave. Or maybe he didn't want to leave. He was quite stubborn. He was like, I'm not leaving my house. I'm going to keep running this town while I'm killing people. Blah, blah, blah. So she's like, shut the fuck up, dad. And she got the mallet and smashed him up and then hung him up on a hook, probably. And then he fell into the cellar or some shit. She ran off with her brother or husband to change his, changed her name to Kelly, like you said. The grandmother was either like I don't think they would have taken the grandmother with them so she got no, went off and did something she got in jail for something maybe for stealing I don't know what she was doing she got jailed and then this other child I don't know about the other child that was there like the, well, I'm the thinking child. like if hmm. Elvira and John Sr had had little baby Sarah and yeah. John Jr and Kate had had little baby Francis yeah. So then if what you said happened and then they're like, right, we're off. Fuck they've him. left Elvira yeah. with Sarah and Francis. Yeah. So Elvira then flees with the babies. Yeah. Elvira then goes with the babies, somehow ends up in jail. And the babies forget about who they are. Maybe they change their names. And then they, they've got like suppressive memories, you know, subconscious memories. So that's when they're having dreams. So I think all the stories kind of tie in with each other. I think the only one that doesn't sound plausible is that they all ran into the hills and became like monsters, like yeah. in Deliverance. Yeah, everything else fits together. I agree with you. Like if that yeah. all happens and then John and Kate are on their own and they end up changing their name and they become uh-huh. the and Kellys, they don't change. jail because they are the serial killers, the Kellys. It's like they can't help themselves, so they still keep their ritual going and they and Obviously, that only happen. They could only get away with it for so long, and then. But they- and to be fair, it would make sense with Elvira as well, because although we know she likes murdering husbands, she mm. doesn't necessarily seem to actually be involved in the murdering of any of the travellers. So, what are you thinking? That she was just a passive witness to all this? She wasn't actually one. Of, it wasn't her yeah, idea. I think, to she just- I think like, maybe she'd come in sometimes and decay someone's mm. head, and then she'd be like, "Ah, all of us came in the heads in on my floor." She was just. <laughs> Like I bet she was just basically like Tubbs and Edward was a cycle <laughs> one, and she was just like going along with it because she's a bit, edi- a bit, a bit silly. We bit silly. Maybe. We silly. silly. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't burn him. <laughs> that kind of thing. We didn't smash his head in. <laughs> I could also imagine Tubbs in court if they were like, "Yeah, you are guilty of the murders that took place in this three and a half year period," and she'd be like. I was down the caves one of those weeks. And the judge is like, okay, <laughs> not guilty. Because <laughs> effectively, I just can't believe that, like, the rest of Elvira Bender and are like, you stand accused of being Elvira Bender. And she was like, but I was in jail for nearly three months. And they're like, okay, 
Well, I guess you can't be a viral bender then. Off you go. <laughs> go back to your life. And also, like, irrelevant, because, again, based on yeah. the witness testimony, she doesn't actually, like, she didn't actually seem to be present at any of the murders. So yeah. when she was in jail is completely irrelevant because... <laughs> Because she wasn't actually there. It's not like if there are a party of four people committing murders that one of them can't mm. not be there and the murders don't take place. Like, But she murdered her previous husbands. She definitely murdered her previous husbands. So why did she not murder John Sr. then? Was he just more of a domineering character and she couldn't murder him? Or she liked him because he was dirty? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's a dirty, dirty man. Maybe she liked him because he wasn't dominating, but then your version of events is right. And when they were like, right, we need to go, he was like, I'm not being taught yeah. by some stupid women. And she was like, right, kill yeah, him. Kill him. So kill him. Let's go. It's time for him to go. He's he's just a liar. But yeah, I would agree that 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 basically yeah that that makes sense. Okay, well that was really interesting. I'm gonna actually read up about them and try and find the film, The Benders. Wonder what that's like. I want to watch the film, The Benders, and I also want to. Mm read the like story the life story of the kelly's as well kelly's right oh yeah i've never heard of them so it's really fascinating yeah well thanks mark that was great i loved it um hopefully you guys liked that story as well and yeah horror stories so what have we got next mark on good the question list? let's choose a number uh we have 35 things on the list 35 it's getting bigger it's getting out of control it's madness <laughs> I'm going to choose number three. Uh, oh, how very fitting given uh, what's just come out. Number three is Kaijus. Oh, brilliant. Kaijus. Because I've been watching Monarch, Dawn of Monsters, I think it's called. And the Axis Mundi's like, and it's not actually the Axis Mundi. It's just what the woman who was stuck here called this place. She's like, I just call it the Axis Mundi because I don't know what else to call it. So the Axis Mundi is like, you love it. Is it, is it supposed to be a place between heaven and earth? It's a place between like, realms of existence or realms right. of reality or yeah which is a bit like that and and um monarch thing but not is it supposed to be a nice place or is there monsters in it and stuff or did they just make that up obviously like cause you, the axis mundi is supposed to be like collect is it not a collective consciousness place or is it like or if i mix that consciousness up place, but it's like the in between why would you want why would you want to leave do you know what i mean if it's a nice place, why would why would you go there for one thing? How do you get there? Maybe but then I don't doing... think it's necessarily a nice place or a bad place because if it's in between all things, then I suppose you could go there and feel well, at total peace, but then you might get like eaten by an eight-headed dragon. Okay, but could you, if you came out of the Axis Mundi, would you, would time, is time different there? Because like in Monarch, time's different. So if you stay like, what, a couple of weeks in the Axis Monday and you go back to Earth, like 30 years has passed and you're still the same age. Weird. Okay. I mean, if that's the case, I want to go there so that I can maybe like prolong my life a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then going in the future, it's like time travel, basically. Pretty sweet. Except everyone you know will be old and dead. Or I guess if you don't want to bring up your children and you want to skip to when they're adults, <laughs> go to the Axis Monday and then you'll be come back, you'll come back younger than them. <laughs> You can rub it in their face. <laughs> what a lovely aim for any family. Yeah. Maybe right, that's well, where the Benders went. Maybe they went into the Axis Mundi. Maybe they did, but I don't... Yeah, but they became the monsters that you want to stay away from in the Axis Mundi. <laughs> you don't want, to go, don't want an encounter with a Bender. Right, well... Stoking about snorting at people. Kaijus don't really exist, though, do they? I don't know. Let's find out for next week. Okay, we'll talk about Kaijus. Kaiju, if you're wondering, just is it like a Japanese word. I think it's a Japanese word for monster. Well, that's Pokemon. That's Pocket Monster. <laughs> <laughs> a giant creature that's not of this world is a Kaiju. Yes. And it might not necessarily be a natural thing. It could be a giant robot, maybe. 
um does that count as a kaiju or is it just a giant anything i think yeah anything that's that's giant inexplicably huge is that a kaiju mm-hmm. again we can check this for next week but that's yeah that's true episode. i feel like anything inexplicably huge that should be a normal size lives in your pants <laughs> But in order I'm for that being, to be I'm the being. case, it would like have to be somebody with like a eight billion foot penis. <laughs> <laughs> if it was a kaiju penis. You kind of did that in the, the last Jackass film, I think, where they made Chris Pontius's penis into a kaiju monster. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> and the balls were its feet, and it was like going around destroying the city. Right. Well, on that note, bye. Bye. <laughs>